0: Lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. All right, welcome to your church friends podcast. I am Chris. I am your... I am your... all right, welcome to Your Church Friends podcast. I am Chris. I am Your the Take 2.
1: Yeah. <laughs> How come you can be further away from your mic? I don't know. I feel like I'm maybe it's the projection of the right angle. Now. Yeah, you're projecting your voice. Like the angle like
0: yours is like, "Oh, mine's is straight flat." How about that? Does it sound clearer
1: to you? I don't know. All right, take 3. <laughs> I thought that was a fun intro to this. <laughs> Whatever. All right, yeah, yeah, let's take it again. Yeah.
0: All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris. I'm the And that was
1: take three for everyone listening. I actually like take two. There's a little insight to uh, me not knowing how to work a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> so you get all the cool upgrades and everything, but it's still user error that comes into play sometimes. Well, it's because on the other one I'm recording reading the Bible, I have to get it out of the way so yeah, I can so read. you can see. But right here I can angle it because all I got to do is look at you. Which is a
0: good question to ask, is if everyone's enjoying those. Like, if you are, let us know. Enjoying hearing
1: Murdoch read from the Bible. Yeah, it's good. I went through, and there's some cool different renditions of people reading through, but I feel like um, these books still don't get enough love, so the more that they're they out They don't. There, yeah. They don't. Speaking of which, uh, oh, wait, before we jump
0: into the book, I even have it on my notes. Um, we were on a podcast together, not at our podcast, but a guest. We were on the Buddy Walk podcast together. I think the episode dropped last week sometime, uh, but I'll put it in the show notes. But I think it's worth the listen. It was a fun conversation with our buddy, uh, Joe.
1: Yeah, Buddy Walk with Jesus.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. I love the name of the show. Um, Which you had been on their show before, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd been on there. I, I'd met Joe um, through one of the podcasting group things, and then uh, he had asked me to come back on. And this time I was like, hey, how about me and Murdoch come on? Like, well, what do you think of that? And he was all for it. He uh, He does listen to the show as well. So he was all for it and happy to do that. And uh, I thought it was cool. It, it made it easier for me. It's hard to be the guest of a podcast when you're used to hosting a podcast because it's like, I don't know, it's just weird having to answer questions.
1: Cool. It was easy for me because I feel like I'm a guest on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just keep getting invited back. <laughs> you're my only church friend. Uh, but so
0: yeah, go out and listen to that. I thought it was a cool conversation. We kind of went over some of the stuff we had talked about in Jude, uh, but also just talked about a, a Plenty of other things, too. It was just a really cool conversation. I enjoyed talking with him. Yeah, so uh, go out and listen to that one. Again, the link to that will be in the show notes.
1: Before we get into this forgotten book, I couldn't quite remember in our last forgotten book. I forgot in the forgotten book because we've been talking about the names. Did we talk about Nahum? What his name meant? Well, in case we didn't, I'm just going to throw this out here. It's uh, to be sorry it's like to be sorry to be tied in, kind of like with repentance and like comforting, but really just like feel sorry about something. And maybe you said it, and I just completely spaced out. But I just thought that that was such an interesting juxtaposition between mm-hmm. like the destruction that's coming upon and his name means like oh to be sorry. And, and with that, so now that you mentioned the name and the def- the description
0: or the definition, I don't feel like we did. It so doesn't sound yeah, that familiar, no, huh? No, I just no, it didn't.
1: I like that we've been doing that. Mm-hmm. And when I was preparing for this one, and I was looking at. uh I'm not going to say the name yet. I'll let you drop what the episode is, even though people already saw that we've read the book. Yeah. Um, But yeah, a little dictionary definition says, it basically means to be sorry. It may mean to have regret, but also to have compassion and often to comfort and console uh, whoever one is sorry for. This verb often describes God's attitude towards mankind.
0: Ah, I like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what's today's forgotten book now that we can officially close Nahum? Now we could officially close off Nahum? Yeah. Whom? Yeah, Nahum. Nahum. Uh,
0: Habakkuk. Yeah, Habakkuk. Yeah. Habakkuk. Habakkuk or Habaka as I've been pronouncing it a majority of my life. We don't need three Ks in there. That's bad. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stick I, with two. I said it the other day, me, uh, maybe yesterday, me and you were walking and I said like, oh yeah, we're going over Habakkuk. And she was like, what? And I was like. Habakkuk and she was like where's the K and I was like what K she's like the one at the end I was like I don't know but I at that point I had already heard someone say Habakkuk but old pronunciation was stuck in my head yeah
1: I feel like most of my life I've called it Habakkuk mm-hmm. but I feel like just with so many things reading and having those long U's like Nahum like now it's become Habakkuk Habakkuk. Yeah. oh no I don't even know what I'm saying It's getting uh, twisted all over the place. Yeah, we should just get into it. I know that I'm not reading it with the Hebrew accent.
0: That's what I told Justine. She was like, well, what is it then? Like, people say this and that. And I was like, I don't know. We're all probably wrong. We don't have the Hebrew accent. We don't have what it was actually written in. Um, So who knows? This I do know, though. It is uh, only three chapters and 56 verses. Uh, By the Hebrew word count, it's 671 is the fourth shortest book in the Old Testament. Only Obadiah, Nahum, and Haggai. I was going to say, we've, we've already had done the other yeah, three. Yeah, yeah. So just wanted to throw that in there. Uh, but I really believe that this book is an interesting one um, because it doesn't address a group of people like most of the other books do. Like a prophet usually does talk to people and prophesying to them or telling them something. So this doesn't happen in this or to like a nation. He's talking to God in this one. Yeah, this is a book that's straight up a conversation with God. And we see some of that in some of the other books. Um, like Job, it will have a conversation with God, uh, Moses obviously does, Abraham and other people throughout scripture, but the book itself isn't 100% just a conversation with God, and that's what we get here with this book, and I thought that was really cool. It's just a frank dialogue. Uh, he, he doesn't pull back any punches, he kind of goes at it, and he talks uh,
1: about, you know, what they're struggling with and really where he's at. Yeah, I think it's a pretty timely one, looking at the world today. I, a lot of these questions and interrogations it's kind of like i heard that that it's kind of uh where there's intercessory type prayer and co- talking to god mm-hmm. this one's more of uh i don't know if i can pronounce the word interrogatory <laughs> i don't know if i'm making that word up <laughs> sure but yeah you're coming in asking questions of god and i think that's a good way to pray like you can ask questions because God can answer questions.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, too, gets paralleled with uh, Psalms. Mm-hmm. Just the way it's phrased, the way he's asking right. questions, it, a lot goes to like what David says, how long, O Lord? I mean, I think that's one of the first things he says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Mm-hmm. Which echoes some of what David himself has said in his own prayers
1: throughout the Psalm. And I think that as we're looking at just what the book is, and it's says prayer and him going to God, Habakkuk as a name, you know what it means? Did you look it up? I did. Uh,
0: let me go into my notes because it's not in the beginning of my notes. Uh, yeah, it's uh, some. It's actually got. I, I saw two mm-hmm. meanings to it. So uh, some of it uh, say that his name derived from the Acadian, right?
1: The Acadian word yep. that means garden plant or flower. Yeah, which when I looked at that, it's kind of would have been related to like a mint, some fragrant type of plant. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. And then the other
0: one, uh, that there's a Hebrew, it's a Hebrew word similar to it that means clasp or embrace, like to hug. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are the two that people say. There's no real, like, solid, this is what his name means. Uh, actually, his name only appears here in the Old Testament. Nowhere else does it appear anywhere else. Um, so it, he's kind
1: of like this isolated, lone ranger just complaining to God, in a sense. Yeah, Um just for anybody who's wondering, Akkadian. Akkadian is one of those ancient languages that when you have Phoenician and Akkadian, Ugaritic and stuff, that was just back there with ancient Hebrew. So when we're looking at words like this that you're saying like, hey, there's not really anything like it. You can look at, well, was this a loan word from another one of those languages? Because that happened a lot. And we see that in today's culture, you know, different things get passed over. Um, but I liked kind of the one that looking at that embracing or clinging onto because mm-hmm. it's I kind of see that that's what he's doing with God in this book is that he's got these problems about looking in the world and as we go we'll we'll talk more about what those problems are but rather than just like stay stuck on himself or go and like have problems with people like he just clings on to God he's like God I'm asking you these questions and we see a transformation happen in him between like the first two chapters and going into the third chapter which is pretty cool so I don't know if the name always relates to what they're going through, but I like to kind of look at it, and see yeah, I feel like any... it has some tie-in yeah. at some
0: points. Um, so let me get into the breakdown before we start jumping into the questions. Uh, so the breakdown is it's it's a pretty clean, simple one, but we have Habakkuk, uh, first complaint. So that's just the first four four verses that we're looking at, and basically his big question in those four verses is why do the wicked go unpunished? Mm-hmm. And then we have God's first answer. Um. And I really like as if we sum it all up is basically he's saying uh, before he restores his relationship with his people, they must repent of their evil actions and uh, that are separating them from him. God says, uh, I got the right group of people to do that. It's the Babylonians. Uh, And I'm going to use the Babylonians to judge Judah for their sins, in which your translation says the Chaldeans.
1: Yeah, the two are kind of interchangeable. Um, So you have Babylon, which is the nation of Babylon. Mm -hmm. The Chaldeans, as far as what I can study, weren't, um, I'm not sure what the correct term is, genetically or ethnically or whatever, Babylonian, but the two, they were interchanged in there, and that was who was kind of ruling. Um, in other places, Chaldeans can also get termed as astrologers, because they were the ones that were kind of tied in with that and kind of the whole magi and like those kinds of arts and magics and stuff. So just within your Bible, sometimes if you're seeing astrologer or Chaldean, or Babylonian, they're all kind of within that same group of people. Yeah. Uh, Then we have the... Go ahead. I was just going to say, and when he gets that response of like, hey, why aren't you doing anything? And God's basically like, well, I'm doing something. You just haven't seen it yet. And here's the Babylonians. Then we get his second complaint, which his tune changes a bit. So what's his second complaint? Yeah, so his second complaint is uh, basically, wait, what? (laughs) <laughs> they're worse than us.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a fun, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to say fun because they do go through some stuff, Because, of, but like just the, the it's dialogue. definitely not fun. Babylon is... You no. Know, uh... but the dialogue is entertaining to read as the reader. Uh, so you get like, there's wickedness, God. Why is there wickedness? How long will we wait from you? And God's like, no, 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 I, I hear you. Don't worry about that. I got the Babylonians. They're going to take care of it. You're like, wait, what now? The Babylonians, they're worse than us. How are they going to be what's judging us? Um, so it is kind of like a,
1: as reading it, it's like, it's an interesting read. Judging them. And again, coming in after the Assyrians, right? Cause yeah. we've talked about that where you've got the Assyrians and then Babylon moves in and it's just like one thing after another, but it touches on something that we've talked about before when it comes to God's judgment, when he moves in and even looking at this concept of day in the Lord and where modern people seem to struggle with it. The first complaint is God, you're not doing enough. The second complaint is, God, you're doing too much. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Church is like, you need to do something, and then God does something. like, well, you, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, you can't please some people.
0: Yeah, and that's what gets us into hit God's second answer, which is uh, chapter 2, verses 2 through 20. Um, and God basically says, I know, and their judgment is coming too. Mm-hmm. And then we end chapter 3, is Habakkuk's prayer And uh, he basically realizes that his perspective is more limited than God's and trusts that God's ways are good. Um, So yeah, that's the overview. If you want to take just a nice coastal overview of what this book is, uh, that's it right there. But we do
1: have questions. Just to put into the overview as we're looking at it, that prayer, and we'll get to it when we get to chapter three, um, but it's what's called a theophonic hymn. So a theophany is like a revelation of God, so when we get to that prayer, it's... Portraying God as the divine warrior. Yeah. So I think that we've brought that up before. Just yeah, because of... uh, Nahum mm-hmm. or Nahum uh, does similar in right. his book, which is again, uh, I
0: love the way we're studying this, and and we didn't plan. Nope. Th- I mean, to think that there's some planning on what we do. There's a little bit, but then there's no like strategic planning. It's like, uh, what book should we cover? Oh, here's all the ones that we think no one talks about, and they're all the short ones. Um, and all the day of the Lord ones yeah, and, and the, the ones day that the interlink with each other and then it's like okay but what order should we put them in I don't know I think I just made it up an order that seemed good to me that I was like yeah it splits up between Old Testament and New Testament so we could jump around on things uh, but the crazy part of that we went through Nahum right before this uh, that it it has that concept of divine war a lot of the things that we're going to see it's uh, basically we're fo- following the timetable too So you're seeing the Assyrians that Nahum was talking about, like you mentioned, and then we're going to go into what the Babylonians now did, all leading towards this whole event and everything. So um, it's crazy that we didn't plan this, but
1: God, I guess, plans what we can't plan. Yeah. And just another part of the overview before we get into the questions, because you broke down the scriptural side, but if we look at chapters 1 and 2 versus chapter 3 and kind of look at the switch over there, I've got 1 and 2, you've got... Um, Habakkuk is wrestling with God Versus three he's resting in God One Hmm. and two he's miserable With what's going on Three he's happy One and two you've got he's basically shouting Number three he's singing One and two he's praying to God for stuff Number three he's praising God One and two he's impatient Three patient And one and two he's asking for justice Three he's asking for mercy One and two he's in a pretty low place Three he's in a pretty high place Ah, That's pretty cool I got that from uh, David Pawson. I found him on YouTube. He's a, ah. he's a cool guy. Yeah. He's an older English gentleman. Send me the link. I'll put it with the show notes. Oh, and it'll be good because once you get to chapter three as well, like he, he brought the hymn prayer into more of a modern English. So it rhymes and it's all pretty, but you also get more of the impact to it. So yeah, if people listen to it. It's only like 35 minutes. So. Oh, yeah. Manageable.
0: It's shorter than our show.
1: Yeah. Let's look at some of the questions we'll go through. Uh,
0: so we'll have a uh, who is Habakkuk. Uh, what was the time setting for Habakkuk? Who are the Babylonians? Uh, what does Habakkuk teach us about God? And then, what is a woe, not Whoa. a word, a woe? Yeah. So I put it in our uh, we share a, a notes file,
1: and the autocorrect correct woe to word. So yeah, you're like, hey, I put the questions yeah. that I want to cover, and I go through, and you just said, what is a word? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know what he means. And rather than clarify, I'll just be surprised when I show up as a It'll guest be a on this great podcast. Surprise on the show.
0: <laughs> so yeah, that's where we're gonna go with uh, question number one. Who was Habakkuk? We kind of already talked about his name, so I'll I'll leave that out. I did find this. I thought that it was interesting. Uh, going along with his name was uh, because of the similarities of the word embrace. The Kabbalistic Jews in the medieval period thought that Habakkuk was the son of Elisha, promised to the. Uh, I think it's the Shunammite woman, and that's in Second Kings 4.16 where mm-hmm. um, uh, she wanted a child, and he said, by this time next year, you have a child. And then, I mean, it's a whole story that's crazy where the child ends up dying, and then Elijah lays on top of him and brings the child back to life. But because of this, uh, in uh, verse uh, 16 where he says, about this time next year, Elijah said, you will hold your son in your arms. So they kind of said that Hab- Habakkuk was the promised son. Uh, but chronologically, that is impossible. I just thought it was pretty interesting that some people thought that about him. But
1: yeah, so there's that because he's really not mentioned. I didn't mm-hmm. come across that, but what I came across was two of these um, extra canonical books that we seem to be more frequently getting into. Um, one is Bell and the Dragon. Which have you, have you gotten in and read that yet? Yeah, yeah, I've actually have it here. Uh, I could read whatever you're going to talk about. Yeah, Bell and the Dragon, you've got basically that um, Habakkuk would be coming as, as a son of Joshua from the tribe of Levi, mm-hmm. and then there's, so that would have been from the Old Testament times, Bell and the Dragon, where that dates, that dates around the Book of Daniel and everything, or that's when it's supposed to be placed is the Book of Daniel. That Bell and the Dragon one is interesting, though, uh, because... In it, it's Daniel in
0: the lion's den, mm-hmm. but it's not the same lion's den that he was thrown in in Daniel. Because in Daniel, it was one day. This one, he's been in there for a week. And uh, Habakkuk is just like preparing some stew and has some food. And Angel comes, grabs him by the head, and swoops him over to Babylon, puts him inside of the the den with Daniel, gives Daniel the food. They encourage each other, picks him back up, and takes him back
1: home. Yep. Yeah, it's a it's crazy. It's wild. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fun read, and it's not yeah. too long um so bell and dragon that's where you have that you have that story of him coming in and aiding daniel in the lions then um but then you've got a more new testament dated thing the lives of the prophets i believe is lives of the prophets my brain just spazzed out it might be the lives of the apostles i'm pretty sure it's lives of the prophets um but that would put him with a tribe of simeon so you've got two different tribes but even there it's not too much detail yeah everything that i got is he does identify himself as a prophet so mm-hmm.
0: from his own book He's a prophet, and this, again, Haggai and Zechariah do the same. He labels his prophecy as an oracle or a burden, and that's the same as Nahum or your favorite prophet, Malachi. Malachi. Yeah, that Italian prophet. Um, And then he could have been a priest like Jeremiah and Ezekiel uh, since Levites served in the temple music ministry. So Mm -hmm. because of chapter 3 where it's more of a musical thing, they think that he was part of the Levite clan because of that. So even kind of tying in with a little bit of that bell and the dragon. And then it's also because of the way he uh, knows what, uh, about the temple that they would suggest that he's a Levite. So like uh, chapter 2, verse 20 says, the Lord is holy in his temple, let the earth be silent, and his fam- uh, familiarities with temple practices.
1: So those are the few things that we do know. Yeah, and in that, those tie-ins, and it's such an interesting thing when you have that level of Bible study, and I'm glad that I can study other people who can teach me these things, and then now I know them, to be able to even take the thing of, how you were saying, so being at the temple and knowing those things about the temple. But then at the end of uh, Habakkuk 319, when it's talking about to the choir master and with the instruments and stuff, and where that ties in to First Chronicles 25, when it talks about some prophesy through music. Mm-hmm. So the, they're thinking even maybe that there were like temple prophets Oh, yeah so where you would have priests and stuff around, but there's also prophets that will prophesy and, and have that going. Because, yeah, he is definitely mentioned as a prophet, but he does seem like maybe rather than some of these other prophets that are off in the wilderness, like uh, Ezekiel cooking up poop <laughs> and <Yeah>. whatever else. Abba <laughs> might have just gotten to stay around the temple yeah. and had that happen. Um, so different, again, just so many different roles that God uses and... Where we saw with Nahum, it was a book that got written down. Here's an oracle and a vision coming to Habakkuk. So a lot of stuff. It's really cool. Yeah. And again,
0: just like Jeremiah, who mm-hmm. was a prophet and a priest. So uh, Yeah, that's right. So you, it's, it's not like it's unheard of or uncommon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, in, it's in there throughout the Bible. Uh, one of the things is it doesn't really specify the identity of where he's from, but uh, most say unquestionably it is Judah. So there's not yeah. really doubt. that I didn't really see anything. Like we saw with Nahum, could have been here, could have been there, could have been everywhere.
1: Uh, This one, everything was just pointing towards Judah. Well, because the Assyrians already came and got Israel. Yeah. And who was left was Judah, and that's where Babylon was coming for
0: Judah. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing, I thought this was cool. I read this, and I thought, you know, what do we actually know about him that we can read? Uh, One of the things I read in a commentary was he was a spiritual man with a profound love of God. He had a keen sense of, hum, uh, of humanity's sinfulness and God's holy character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a courageous individual who shared a very unpopular message in a hostile political environment, and then uh, that as a late 7th century BC prophet, his contemporaries were Nahum, Zephaniah, and Jeremiah, and that also he probably knew a young Daniel and Ezekiel before both of them were taken captive uh, by the Babylonians in 605 BC. So. There's more in there. It's pretty cool. Uh, And a lot of that too, like that who he was as character, I really wanted to pull out because I think that speaks volumes. Sometimes we get into these prophets and we're like talking about where they could be buried or where they're from and all these other crazy things. And and, uh, for me, I really just narrowed it down on his character. And, And the one that I really loved was that he had a sense of the humanity's
1: sinfulness, but really knew who God's character was. I'm with you on that. And to go back to something that you said in the very beginning, we were talking about his name and just that it's not a used word. And you're kind of saying that he stands alone in some senses. Um, even the introduction that he gets, there's no other prophet that gets introduced this way as we dive into the book Habakkuk 1 1. This is the burden that Habakkuk the prophet received in a vision. Mm-hmm. Like none of the other ones start off this way. So Yeah, and even to where uh where God tells
0: him. Uh, write this stuff down in a tablet, and then take it to everyone, too. Like, it's just, it's really cool the way his book plays out and everything. So the second question, then, getting into what is the time setting of Habakkuk, which I, I changed it, because usually it's when was it written? Uh, but with this one, there was definitely this time period when he was writing was crazy. Like, it mm-hmm. was just... You have uh, the three great powers at this point. You have the Assyrians, the Egyptians, and uh, the Babylonians coming up. So the Assyrians, were their power was kind of waning, but we saw last on the last episode what they were capable of, what they were doing. The Egyptians had taken control over Judah at, at a time, so that was happening.
1: Yeah, the Egyptian influence on Judah, and it kept happening. They would come up and even try and tell them, like, hey, you should fight back against them. We'll help mm-hmm. you. <laughs> and then they don't, and it's like, Oh, that was just the really long siege on Judah. Like, yeah, yeah. And Thanks then Egypt. Babylon was on the rise.
0: So they were rising up. And, but using Babylon, uh, their invasion as a point of reference, Habakkuk's life and ministry may have extended from the latter part of uh, Manasseh's reign uh, to, what was that, sixty nine or 696 BC to 642 BC. Uh, to the rule of Judah's last king, Zedekiah. So that's, people are saying like his lifespan and ministry were in there. But since it didn't mention the fall of Jerusalem in 586, that maybe he died before that event happened.
1: Yeah, from what I was getting is that it was probably written somewhere between 609 and 597. And it was pretty interesting looking at this because um, Habakkuk, when he's talking about things, he's talking about some of the bad rulership that's happening where he's at or right around that time that you were mentioning, we have King Josiah. And King Josiah ruled from 639 to 609. And the thing about King Josiah is he was actually like one of the good kings. Mm-hmm. It's the few good kings that you get in the Old Testament. You can go and read about them, but Josiah's the one that came in and he's like, what, there's a scripture we should be following? What, this is good. Oh, we should tear down these idols and these ash poles and everything. Let's do that. And you have Josiah, And he ruled from 639 till 609 when he was killed in the Battle of Megiddo. Uh, Second Chronicles 34.2 says uh, about Josiah, which is a very rare
0: term that you'll hear, is that he walked in the ways of David, his father. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you get that he's one of the better. And his dad wasn't great. His grandpa wasn't great. These are the people who were worshiping idols and doing all that stuff. Um, And he comes in, and I love the way uh, that it says that he purged mm-hmm. out
1: all the idols and temple worshiping. Yeah. So the, I, I don't think that Habakkuk would have too much of a problem with him, given the character right, that he said yeah. that he had. So basically, after Josiah died, he was going to have his son Jehoahaz. Yeah. Which would probably have been pretty good, but Jehoahaz got taken captive, and instead they appointed Jehoiakim, and things just went down from there. So yeah, it seems like with Jehoiakim coming in, that's where Habakkuk would have been like, god what's happening
0: it's really a crazy up and down both politically and spiritually when you look at his reign you're like you're looking at it or or not his reign but his lifespan um that he saw the kind of bad happening and then there's josiah the good and in josiah there was so much good there was uh the celebration of the passover that hadn't happened since Mm -hmm. samuel yeah so you're talking about four five hundred years of no passover and the Passover, I mean, Passover was is big deal, so important. It was like you need to do this every year to remind you of who I am. Like this was a thing of reminding what God had done for them. Uh, so they had done that, and yeah, it was just a, a great thing. And then yeah, you have his son who gets taken by the Egyptians, and then you have uh, Jehoiakim, uh, who in Jeremiah he killed Uriah the prophet. Um, he also burned the scrolls that were from Jeremiah uh, that. God was basically warning him what to do, right? He burned those up. And uh, then you get, in the fourth year, uh, Nebuchadnezzar defeated Nico. That's the king of, or the pharaoh. Yeah, in Egypt. And in the battle of, what's it? Yeah, Carchemish. Something Carchemish like that yeah, Carchemish. And then they took over Judah. Um, and then, yeah, from there, it's uh, another son. And then you have uh, Zedekiah. And it, this is all the stuff that's happening during that time span. And it's not good. You have... Jehokim, who's like you were saying, paying homage Tri- tribute yeah. to Nebuchadnezzar, but then rebelled and that made everything worse for him. Um, but yeah, it was just the the spiritual high of Joshua, then the deep depravity of Jehokim. Um, so that's where we're kind of looking at like when he starts writing, how long will this last? God, I could get it. it it's like you saw the high of Judah, right? The turnaround, like this could be
1: where we change our ways. And then, nope, just right back into it. So, yeah, as we're placing it, like you said, the more of the time placement. So we can get there. And in the background of these things happening with these kings, King Josiah and everything, you have the Assyrians and all of that craziness. Mm-hmm. And then you have Babylon up and coming and all of that craziness. And like you said, then the Egyptians are coming over and you have Pharaoh Nico or Necho or whatever the second. And he's like, hey, we should go to war. Just get it. And like all this stuff happening and over the course of, yeah, this guy's lifetime you have, oh, I've seen bad king, I've seen good king, I see these brutal people, and if he's working as a priest, as a prophet, and having that going on, and he knows God, and just like, you can see how this person who knows the character of God, and knows how things should be, experience that under Josiah, maybe, and having that, and it's just like, God, what is going on? And that's where I said, like, the questions that he comes with, I can understand that here, because a lot of people feel like, What's going on in America? Like, have we reached that 250 year age of empire kind of coming down? What about over with China and Russia and like uh, the BRICS nations and what they're doing? And like, what about in the middle? And like, we have these same kinds of things happening today to where like, whoa, God, where are you in this? Mm -hmm. And I think that as we get into um, these first couple chapters with his complaints to God, it's like, yeah, I can see how somebody who's lived through some, I'm only. 33? (laughs) I had to think for a second. (laughs) That's too long of a pause. You're not in your 20s anymore, sir. Yeah, I'm only 33. And when I look at just the changes in that, and even since I started paying attention or caring about it, it's like things can change pretty rapidly. And uh, especially just knowing what I know of God and how I seek him. It's just like, yeah, I I get it. A lot of things that I saw was no doubt he wrote the entire book. uh,
0: And uh, the date usually ranges somewhere between the 7th and 6th century. Uh, but some have dated the book to be as late as the 2nd century. And I thought this was interesting. Uh, so I've got some quick notes on it. I'll, go, I'll run through it. But uh, the debate on when it was written usually depends on chapter 1, verse 4 and 13, on who's identified as the wicked and who's identified as the righteous, which was really weird. So that's why I went down this weird rabbit hole that that's why people like would separate when it was written.
1: No, that's interesting. Uh,
0: so here are some of the thoughts. The righteous is Habakkuk. And the wicked are other Judeans. Uh, The oppression was a personal thing and not national. So if that's the case, it could have been written at any time, Uh, but not after they were destroyed by Babylon. Uh, Another thought was that the wicked uh, is Babylon and Judah as the righteous. And then there we have Assyria was the wicked. So again, it could time shift on Mm -hmm. when all this is done. Someone uh, had a thought that it was Alexander the Great and the Greeks but then the dead sea scrolls debunk that theory so it can be that and uh some of them have antioch the 4th uh, as the wicked but this isn't possible because the writings of uh Jesus ben Sarach from uh his wisdoms does point out the 12 and so the writings were before that so it's it, Wait
1: was that uh Antiochus? Antiochus the 4th? Antiochus, oh, okay. yes.
0: Yeah, that dude. Uh so Yeah, I I just thought it was interesting that there's debate on when just because of those two words, and I would have never, like, looked at that and been like, no, this is not that because
1: of this. Yeah, and I get...
0: (laughs) What were you going to say?
1: There's just, I'd rather spend our minutes on something else than... (laughs) uh, For me, I just, verse 6, Behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that ruthless and impetuous Mm -hmm. nation. It's like, I think that that times it pretty much when you've, Got what's going yeah, on. Yeah. So there. that's why. And I get that there's smarter people than me that can break apart things and do things, but I think that most scholarship would also agree with that point and the general uh, area of time that we've given it. Yeah. The, the, during the reign of Jehoahaz, or most likely, sorry,
0: Jehoah uh, Kim. Yeah. Uh, during his time frame. That's probably the best time it was written. Oh, and I have this. I thought this was cool. I, I've got two commentary things here, and I'll read them both real quickly. It says, The Babylonian records indicate that after his victory over Pharaoh Necho at Carchemish, Nebuchadnezzar subdued Syria, Lebanon, and, and other areas' Egyptian allies, including Judah's king, Jehoiakim were logical targets. And again, you find that in Second Kings chapter 23. And according to the Babylonian priest-historian uh about 300 BC, Nebuchadnezzar Was in possession of captives he had taken from the Jews, uh, the Phoenicians, the Syrians, and and the nations that belonged to Egypt. And by the time of his father's death in August of 605 BC, Daniel reports that Jerusalem capitulated to Nebuchadnezzar in Jehoiakim's third year, 605 BC. And then, so this is just all more support of when it was written that this is the logical time frame. And then Stephen R. Miller's book uh, on Habakkuk. It says, in conclusion, if the Babylonian invasion mentioned in Habakkuk 1-6 is the 605 B.C. Habakkuk wrote his first prophecies shortly before that event. Habakkuk presumably finished his composition, whether one holds he wrote a part of it or the whole book, uh, sometimes before Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C. since he surely would have mentioned that disaster. So lots and lots of information to get the point across of that's when it was probably written in the setting.
1: Yeah, just a couple things. As Wait, what what are the questions we're we covering? Because it might factor in. as we keep Who are it.
0: the Babylonians? Um, what does he show us about God? And then the wolves.
1: Yeah, let's move on. Who are the Babylonians?
0: So from Habakkuk's perspective, uh, they were treacherous. So you can see that in verse 13 of chapter 1. Uh, they were a wicked foe that gathers captives like fish in a net. That's 115. They were merciless destroyers of helpless nations. That's verse 17. So uh, I did want to
1: touch on who they were from what he was saying. And from who they were with what everyone was saying is, man, the Babylonians, they were brutal. When we talk about the Assyrians being brutal and how they moved in, and I brought this up when I was preaching on Sunday, just like when you have the, the Assyrians were the, Crazy bad people, and then you have these people come and conquer them. That means that they're the new creator, and like it mm-hmm. didn't shift like, oh, now we can all live in peace and have it. It's like, no, they're ruling from an even crazier perspective. And uh in that, what I w- was learning is that Babylon had like this scorched earth mentality. They would go through, and yeah, nothing was left. You know, they'd cut down the trees, they'd take the cattle, they'd burn the villages, they'd do the stuff, and just like it was crazy brutal. To where, yeah, nothing was left alive in their in their wake. Yeah, which I think that even where we can see those terms of like all the different locusts and stuff coming and just leaving like death is like that could probably be applied to the Babylonians. They were pretty ruthless. The Babylonians
0: they stripped the forest and cedar of Lebanon and like the Lebanon wood was like a huge thing. If you go yeah, that's and what re- the temple was built. Yeah, out of- yeah. So it's like. Uh, David had them sending shipments of it constantly. Solomon did the same mm-hmm. thing. They were constantly... The so cedars was, of Lebanon were... They were very important and popular, mm-hmm. and they were just wiped out completely. So they had no regard for preserving natural resources. Instead, of they just wanted to take what they wanted and got what they wanted. Um, but Babylon was the cultural and political center of Mesopotamia during much of the second and first millennia B.C., Ancient Near Eastern texts describe the original location of Babylon as a sacred site dedicated to Marduk. Mm -hmm. And I think we've talked about him a little bit on some of the show, or maybe me and you have. But basically, the Mesopotamian creation myth identifies Marduk as the creator of the universe. He created the heavens and earth out of uh, the divided body of Tiamat, the sea goddess. Uh, The myth states that once Marduk assumed his heavenly throne, he forgave the competing deities who opposed his uh, reign and uh, that he also is described as seeking to prove to the other deities that he was administratively gifted in running the universe. In his effort, he created man for the purpose of doing his work uh, that was required on earth and in heaven, and the gods responded in gratitude by picking up shovels and building Marduk's temple in the city of Babylon. Uh, even where you have Jeremiah 51.2, that this is the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah the prophet concerning Babylon and the land of the Babylonians. Announce and proclaim among the nations. Lift up a banner and proclaim it. Keep nothing back, but say Babylon will be captured. Baal will be put to shame. Marduk filled with terror. His images will be put to shame and her idols filled with terror. So that's some of the information that I have on him.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting thing, bringing up Marduk, and especially what you have there with Marduk and Tiamat, and you have that chaos monster of Tiamat, Mm -hmm. and that you have Marduk coming in, splitting, and that's the creation, and because we get something similar in Genesis, to where when you have um, that the earth was formless and void, it's, uh, I think the Hebrew there is tohu avofu. And it's more of just like it's a wild wasteland and it's chaos and it's the waters of chaos. Scripturally, I know we've talked about it on the show, is that water equals chaos. Yeah. And when you have that, so then you have the spirit of God coming over the waters and then creation happening. And all the creation is very good, but it's not. And then think in another place it talks about Leviathan. Mm-hmm. Do you remember off the top of your head what book that's from? Job. Okay. A few times. But just even basically... Like when God's talking, is like, who can control the Leviathan? Yeah, and it. God's yeah. like, I can. Yeah, <laughs> Like this chaos monster, I can control it. But then what's interesting is bringing that, is it the same concept, these concepts that you're bringing up between chaos and the waters and then the God that subdues the waters. So you have Baal, and Baal worship is really popular, but Baal just means like Lord or Master. And you had a lot of different Baals. There wasn't just like one Baal. Like, there was one Baal, but then there's a lot of them. But you have Baal Hadad which was like a storm god from from around those times. And you have him coming and killing Yom, who is the sea chaos god. And you have that going on. But where that ties in is that imagery actually is in chapter 3 of Habakkuk. Read it. (laughs) (laughs) You're looking at me like, I was like, really? Like, my mind was just blown. I was like, read. That's where... I know we were skipping ahead, but we're just here's the thing when we're talking about right, well who is Babylon and we keep bringing it up that these nations and their gods and Israel and Yahweh like it's all one and the same and the history can't be read separately from the spiritual history of what's going on here. So chapter three verse four, his radiance was like the sunlight rays flash from his hand where his power is hidden. When you look at those rays flashing. Um, it would be the symbol, I forget what the Hebrew there is, I didn't write it down. It's the symbol of two horns. And when you go back to these ancient embossments and stuff that they have, you'd have this god, uh, Baal-Hadad, and he's holding this symbol. And it almost looks like there's two spirally horns coming up. It's like mm. that, and it splits off into two. Maybe we can find the picture and we can throw it in the show notes. But that was a symbol for uh, lightning, because he's the storm god. So here you have that same Imagery and everything coming, but it's being applied to Yahweh. And very often this happens, whether you're looking at it with Leviathan, whether you're looking at uh, in Genesis, whether you're looking at this, is that scripture is always correcting the wrong view of who's in charge. It's not Baal Hadad who's in charge of the storm and who has these powers. It's not Baal Hadad who subdues chaos. It's Yahweh who does it. Yeah. And so you've got that. You've also got where it says plague and pestilence went before him and with his steps those would be more of the angelic beings it's not just like oh a plague and pestilence like that's going to come in but it's like the kind of the four horsemen of the apocalypse Mm. type of thing or when where death and hades are embodied to be these spiritual beings same thing here you've got a plague and pestilence being with them and the word for plague they're going to use is Reshef, which Reshef was one of the canaanite gods that was in there and again all that getting tied in with the ugaritic stuff and so even within this poem in english it doesn't translate but when you get in and you study it and you're like hold on the one with the rays well that's the two horns and oh that's that is where it's talking about the rivers and in there there's because part the first part of chapter three is written in a super archaic way like when you use the actual language that he's using so it's either he wrote it to sound old on purpose or he was taking an old poem and repurposing. And then like the last part of chapter three was more in his hand, but like that first portion is like an older style thing that's coming in. And in that when it's talking about the rivers, um, that river, how we, in English, we just have like singular or plural. There's a thing called a dual. So you could almost just by saying rivers, like mean two. Oh yeah, gotcha. And that was a thing there that the Ugaritic god El- Lived at the Twin Rivers, at the Pool of the Double Deep, Mm. and you got El getting tied into that stuff too. So I know as we maybe get to Chapter Three, but just when we're looking at oh Babylon and Marduk and all of these things, that again the imagery of these gods is coming in even here, but with the correction that Yahweh is better. Yeah,
0: and and you even see it like uh somewhat in the new well not somewhat obviously in the New Testament where Jesus comes in and he's walking on the water, Mm -hmm. right? Saying the same thing is that. Uh, Jesus had the power to calm the chaos to subdue this other God that it would he basically walked all over it um in a sense like (laughs) if you're looking at the imagery of it yeah he's got like uh we used to sing the uh, the song uh, at the Pentecostal youth conventions I would go to and it was uh when I went to the enemy's camp I Mm -hmm. took back what he stole from me and it was just like very repetitive and then the, like the hook where you would jump up and down would be like, he's under my feet, he's under my feet, and you'd jump up and down and like bounce. <laughs> and that was like literally what Jesus was doing while walking on the water. Uh, so it's knowing these kind of things though, right? Like if you don't understand that water is chaos and what it represents in God. I didn't for most of neither. my Christian life. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's not taught on a Sunday morning. But knowing it, uh, it, it makes the scripture just explode with depth that mm-hmm. you would never see, that you would never come across, that you would never comprehend. I, I was talking to Justine about this, kind of going over the show and what I was going to uh, talk about. Uh, I usually do that with her so that way I could run through things in my head before we get to talking. And when she, we were talking about it, she was like, this is kind of boring. And I was like, yeah, but here's why. And then she was like, oh, yeah. You know, when you kind of flush it out and you see it, it's really unseeable at that point. You start looking at all these things and connections and what really understanding that getting away from reading the Bible as like it's something to me and reading it as what was the author trying to convey to his audience mm-hmm. because his audience would read that and know exactly what he's talking about. Yep. And then once you get into that, then it means so much more for me when I look into it. So um, what were we talking about? Babylon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, who are they? What's going on there? Uh, Babylon. So uh, from Genesis to Revelations, Babylon maintains a significant presence as both historical empire and a
1: symbolic uh, symbol of opposition to God and his people. Yeah, by the time that you get to Revelation, like Babylon is the prostitute, is the yeah. wicked one that, that's up there. And I know that we've had a few different episodes that touch on Revelation stuff, but you have Babylon versus Israel. And very symbolic of the bride and the prostitute and just pitting those two. So even though we can talk about Assyria being so crazy and Egypt, man, they were... And Egypt has its own place, like, within symbolism. But Babylon is the one that just gets highlighted as, like, this is the symbol of evil empire opposing God.
0: And even where Egypt is a form of Babylon... Mm-hmm. and that Assyria is a form of Babylon. Right, that it becomes the type. Yeah, that it becomes the same thing, and that Israel themselves had become a form of Babylon with all the evil that their kings were doing and how they were mistreating and abusing people themselves. But there's 287 references to Babylon in the Old Testament, hmm. 82 uh, references to it as the Chaldeans, uh, and the first biblical reference to Babylon and it's the only ones in the first five books of the Bible are in Genesis 10.10 10 and Genesis uh, 11, the Tower of Babel. So in Genesis 10.10, 10, I'm going to read a little bit more than 10.10. 10. I'll read 8 to 12. It says, uh, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Yeah, you know how <laughs> yeah. they say that. You know how everyone says that. Yeah, that's why they <laughs> say that. <laughs>
1: I I didn't know, but then they told me right
0: here. Man, I've been saying that. When I put it on my notes, I didn't catch that. When I read it out loud, I was like, that's why they say it. (laughs) Uh, But it continues. The first center of his kingdom uh, were Babylon, Uruk, uh, Akkad, and then Kalni in Sinar. Uh, And from that land, he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh uh, and a bunch of other places, uh, which is between... All these other things, and then these were the great cities. So mm-hmm. there you see that Nimrod went out, built Babylon, and all these other really historic ancient cities. I think uh, uh, Uruk is uh, the Epic of Gal- Gilgamesh is like centered around uh, that I believe city. So. Um, if we're wrong, someone correct us. Uh, but then yeah, you get into chapter eleven, and you have the Tower of Babel. And a lot of people have said that Babel isn't the best translation, that the translation is Babylon. And basically what was happening there is that the tower was a, an ancient Mesopotamian ziggurat that demonstrates humanity's increasing sin. But when God separates and uh, has everyone speak different languages, that he is uh, superior over all human nations. And just so people know what a ziggurat is, because I did not uh, <laughs> It's a large religious uh, structure building that was
1: built in ancient Mesopotamia that took the form. Yeah, so most people have probably seen pictures of them. They kind of remind me of more of the pyramids that you'd maybe find in like South America or something that are more stepped as they come up. It's not the triangular flat looking ones like you see in Egypt. So more like the Aztec and... Yeah, kind of like that. So they come up and they have that. So it is a tower because it goes up really high. But yeah, it's more of that pyramid looking thing that's stepped. Yeah. The crazy part, though, is uh, archaeologists have discovered
0: several of those, including some found in Ur and in in Uruk. Uh, So instead of understanding Babylon to be this divine city like the people in Mesopotamia did, uh, the Israelites uh, likely viewed it as the source of human pride. Like, this is what human pride is.
1: If you want more of just a palatable, I guess it wouldn't be palatable for you, um, just way of getting your mind around how to think about Babylon. Just listen to reggae that's not talking about getting high. A lot they talk about Babylon, and they have it really pegged that Babylon is like <laughs> the evil repra- like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's all against Babylon. And you know, the, all the evils in the world, that's Babylon. So if you yeah. listen to reggae, you're probably pretty, pretty familiar. I know that you hate reggae. I do. So you can just stick to scripture. Yeah, I'll just stick to the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So the rise of Babylon. Yeah, there's Christafari. He's he's Christian. Christian
0: right. Oh, man. Uh, The rise of Babylon is a pretty interesting story. We kind of covered some of it briefly, uh, but you have about 633 BC, Nabopolassar, basically Nebuchadnezzar's dad. uh, He rose to prominence in in Mesopotamia. Uh, He revolted against the Assyrians, winning a decisive battle. He eventually then in 626 BC declared their independence and he became king of Babylon. Uh, and then from there, uh, again, they battled the Assyrians some more. There's a couple of battles that take place in 614 in Nineveh. And shortly after that, the Assyrians moved their capital to Haran and got help from the Egyptians. And then we have uh, Josiah, who actually we talked about, uh, went out to stop the Egyptians or get in the way as they were leaving at Megiddo. And I think he even got, if I remember it correctly, they warned him not to go. And he did anyways. And that's where he lost his life in battle. Uh, But now, under the command of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians defeated the combined Assyrians, Egyptians, uh,
1: army, and that's at the Battle of Carchemish that we talked about. Yeah, that was really the deciding point. Once Carchemish happened, then it was like, cool, everything's Babylon now. Yeah, the Assyrian Empire was destroyed at that point. Yeah, and even where you have... um, The allies to Babylon were the Elamites, the Medes, the Scythians, and I think it's pronounced the Cimerians. Um, Probably better than what I would say. Yeah. Well, it's it's spelled C-I-M-M-E-R-I. Anyways, um, so they were like the allies in all of this happening. But yeah, Babylon was just the one that took it all. Yeah. And then they were we're under Babylonian rule. They might have been there. They might have been like, oh, you're an ally, but you're also under our rule now. Yeah. Uh,
0: Then the Babylonians headed towards Jerusalem, and forced the city to pay tribute, like we talked about. Uh, it was during this time we're seeing probably is when Daniel, Hezekiah... We're seeing Daniel, Ezekiel, Hananiah, um, Mishael, and Azariah. I want to say they're... Shadrach, Meshach, and yeah, Abednego. Yeah, yeah. Don't um, do it. That's their slave names. slave names. I wasn't going to do it. Uh, and even the king were taken to Babylon at that time. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar forced Jehoiakim to swear allegiance to Babylon, and allowed him to remain as king, uh, after taking Jerusalem, his dad dies. Mm-hmm. And so Nebuchadnezzar heads back to solidify his claim to the throne. And we've talked about this with other kings and things. Is like, it's cutthroat. So he had to rush home, stop whatever he was doing, and rush home to make sure
1: that he became Yeah, if king. you don't establish, someone else does. And,
0: and I'm pretty sure reading established or solidified his claim to the throne meant he had to take some dudes out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's crazy. So then after three years of being loyal... You can have any king as long as it's me. Yeah. <laughs> after three years of being loyal, J.O. rejects the advice of Jeremiah. And a lot of this you could read from Second Chronicles, Second Kings, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all of these books kind of... Uh, what I found interesting with Jeremiah is Jeremiah is like a jumbled book of everything somewhat out of place. Mm-hmm. So to know when the kings reigned is very important because then you know the the pattern or what he's, when he's talking about when.
1: Yeah, I've never gone through the chronological Bible. I wonder if they split up Jeremiah, Jeremiah. to be talking like during those times. That would be interesting to look at, yeah. They do split it up pretty good. I know from when I've seen breakdowns, but if anybody's done the chronological Bible. <laughs> Let <doesn't> us know.
0: <laughs> so he rebels against him. Um, then his son takes over or his brother takes over, uh, but that's only for three months. Uh, he was captured by the Babylonians when Jerusalem fell. Then Nebuchadnezzar appointed Zedekiah to rule over the king. And this I found interesting the Babylonian chronicles. So I know we have our chronicles, but the Babylonian ones uh, said, Year seven in Kislev, uh, the king of the Babylonians called out his army and marched out, or marched to uh, Hattua, the west. He set up camp against the city of Judah in Jerusalem. And on 2nd Adar, which I'm assuming is their month, he took the city and captured the king. He appointed a king of his choosing there, uh, took heavy tribute, and returned to Babylon. And then that matches up with Second Chronicles 36.10. In the spring of the year, Nebuchadnezzar set out and brought Jehoiakim to Babylon uh, with precious vessels of the house of the Lord, and made his brother Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem.
1: Man. So there's one thing that I've just got to recommend to anybody hearing this is that hearing it hopefully some of it's making sense i know it's a lot of names mm-hmm. and it's a lot of dates but in familiarizing yourself because there's a lot of kims and chins and Hohoikin and like yeah. all this stuff and you've got nebo and nebuchadnezzar and all the things and it's just like it's a lot try and familiar yourself and over time these names become familiar and these things get latched in to where when you see the name it's just like some of these things come to remembrance and it, and it, and it means something. Cause even as you're talking, some of the stuff is just like, Oh yeah, that's more refreshed in my mind. Mm-hmm. So it like, Oh But then it's cool. Cause like, Oh yeah. It's, I'm not just hearing you list off a bunch of random names. Yeah. I'm like, Oh yeah, man. Like I know why that happened or I get what's going
0: on there. Yeah. And, and eventually we get Zedekiah doesn't listen to Jeremiah. This is why Jeremiah was the, was he the weeping prophet, right? Mm-hmm. Ain't no one listening to him. Uh, he rebelled against Babylon, and that was not good because this is when Nebuchadnezzar returns uh, to Jerusalem and just wipes out the city. It was like a 30-month Yeah, it was battle. long. It was long. Um, and then when he does take it, uh, he totally destroys Solomon's temple, uh, and Zedekiah was captured and forced to watch his son's execution and then blinded. Ephraim Stern, he writes in his book, A review of the archaeological evidence from the 6th century B.C. Judah clearly reflects the literary evidence for the complete destruction of all the settlements and fortified towns by Nebuchadnezzar's armies in 586 B.C. A decrease in population due to the slaughter, deportation, took a total economic collapse on the whole area. So that I wanted to add in because archaeologically they went out there and were like, oh, there's evidence to show how bad this destruction was. Like it just wiped them out completely, which then makes sense when you get to Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, and Nebuchadnezzar stands up on his palace and says, is not Babylon great? Look at all the stuff I've done by my mighty power and everything for the glory and for my majesty, right? Like it's because, yeah, you conquered the world at that point.
1: Yeah. And within that conquering, one of the things, and I think that within all of those names, you might have started to mention Hezekiah. Yes. So I know that we talked in the Nahum episode a bit about Sennacherib and like yeah, some yeah, of that yeah. stuff was going on there. But you have King Hezekiah and Hezekiah and Isaiah, they were kind of like, you know, he was a prophet that was talking to King he- Hezekiah and what goes on there. But you have in Second Kings chapter 20, Verses 12 through 19, basically Hezekiah gets sick and the king of Babylon sends a couple messengers with a note that's basically like, hey, I heard that you're sick. <laughs> and Hezekiah's like, oh man, this guy knows who I am. And he basically goes and shows these two guys from Babylon. Everything. He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah. hey, you want to see my palace? Yeah. Look at all my riches. You think that's cool? Check out our temple. Look at all these riches, and then sends them on their way and Isaiah comes, and he's just like, "Uh, who are those guys? <laughs> what did you do? And he's like, "Oh, those guys from Babylon, and Isaiah was just like, "Everything is going to be gone. Mm-hmm. They're coming for it, and sure enough, so just when we're looking at the destruction, like when you've got it in israel's history, we've got these touch points mm-hmm. to where like, oh Babylon, oh not good, yeah, <laughs> so whether it's with uh Hezekiah and what was going on there or whether it was with uh, Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin and and those guys like man listen to Isaiah listen listen to the prophets guys it, it's interesting what I noticed too is that uh, you get
0: the mention of Babylon in Genesis and then it kind of Babylon is silent mm-hmm. until the prophets start prophesying about them they're coming they're coming they're coming and then it's like the wave just hit right but they were Throughout a lot of Israel's
1: history, they were silent or not even heard of. And then once yeah, well, they the- were kind of just like a small city, city state that was there. And even through Assyria coming up, like they kind of came, you know, grew mm-hmm. and shrunk, grew and shrunk a bit. But yeah, they weren't, they weren't the force until they were. Yeah. And then when they were the force, it was like they were the force. Um- then, even then, this massive thing going back to the time that this is happening, you have the Assyrians and you have the Babylonians. And the Persians come in with King Cyrus and wipe out the Babylon. Yeah, (laughs) you know what I mean. It's it's really tumultuous and yeah, that's crazy stuff. Yeah, and we Daniel chapter five
0: has that. Whereas, like all of a sudden, it just they came in and wiped them all out. Uh, In the New Testament, Babylon's referenced twelve times, and to no surprise, a lot of the references to Babylon are somewhat allusions to Rome, uh, because like Babylon, Rome was oppressive imperial power that besieged Jerusalem and desecrated the temple. The book of Revelations portrays, we talked about Babylon, the great city, as the mother of the prostitute, of prostitutes, and the abomination of the earth, mm-hmm. uh, and that she will be cast down at the end times judgment. And Revelations is full of Old Testament imagery, so the historic city and empire of Babylon was always depicted by the prophets as ungodly power that existed. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's
1: Babylon. Um, Which, and that's where I wanted to put in kind of the end of Babylon, because that's Habakkuk chapter 2. Yeah. When you've got the okay, God, that's real brutal. You're going to send them in like that's too much. And God comes back with, no, they will also be judged. Which is the great
0: part. We saw the same thing in Nahum, right? that, that God's like not forgetting about these people as well, that because they're being used by me doesn't mean that I'm okay with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're just coming in to do this because of your guys' sin. Like, your guys' sin has also reached me, and, and a judgment has come.
1: Which that's kind of what Habakkuk says at one point, or he's, he rebuttals back. He's like, wait, wait, wait. You're going to use somebody that's that much more wicked than we are to mm-hmm. judge it. Like, and it's the, you're saying that we're doing bad, but you're using bad people to come and like do stuff to us. Again, I can, I can understand that, but. Yeah, it's real questions. Yeah. I know I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as that person. Why are
0: they off having that success or that lifestyle? Like, where's the fairness of God? And and the whole time, what the reminder is that God says is like, I see you and I see them. Because I'm the God of judgment doesn't mean that I have to judge at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, I could do things separately on what seems best and what fits my will. You know, And, and that's where... Habakkuk at the end of the book is like, no, yeah, you're God. I'm (laughs) going to wait. Yeah, that's such a beautiful part there. I can't wait to talk about that next week.
1: Question four. What's question four?
0: (laughs) (laughs) What does Habakkuk teach us about God? I could run through this pretty quickly. You see in chapter one and chapter two and chapter three, uh, but one of the cool things that I saw is that he is the holy one whose eyes are too pure to look on evil and cannot tolerate what is wrong. And then Habakkuk illustrates Uh, a God who truly is worthy of faith and worship, uh, that he is just and will punish sin and deliver the righteous. In the book's uh, climactic, uh, what did you call it, theophonic vision? Uh, Yahweh appears as a mighty warrior who battles the wicked on the behalf of the saints. Uh, Again, these are cool things you want to know about your God, Uh, that God is eternal and sovereign Lord over history and all the nations and the earth. And I think we've talked about that before, that certain books show God as being like, not just the God over nations, but the God of history. That it's His that He's controlling and dictating and moving. His, uh, that He's the only true and living God. Uh, Earth's people should be silent before Him. Uh, Yahweh's glorious being inspires all and even fear. Uh, that this great God still cares for His children in response to their cries for help. He is not distant, but a God uh, who relates to believers in a personal way. He is a, uh, the savior of all who trust him and give strength in times of need. And all those things I pulled are straight from the book of Habakkuk. Like you could pop in through the verses of chapter 1, 2, and 3, and you'll see all those things.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting thing with one of the ones that you brought up in the beginning of that, where you're saying that uh, God's eyes are too pure to look upon evil, can't tolerate wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things is that we have that as one of Habakkuk's complaints that's going out. And when I read that, it's like, is that necessarily true? Because it's kind of like a lot of things get said by people in Scripture, but is it true? Like Job and all of his friends, right? They're all saying all kinds Mm -hmm. of stuff, but it's like, is that true of God? Because they said a whole lot of things about who he was, and then God speaks, right? So we have here one of Habakkuk's things, and basically this is him going, oh, you're going to use the Chaldeans, you're using the Babylonians? Uh, Okay, you appointed them, you established them, but your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. Why are you tolerating their faithless? And why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous? He's saying, like, I'm more righteous. There are righteous here. You shouldn't tolerate them. Mm-hmm. Your eyes can't even look on them. And it's like, is that true? Because I think that God sees all kinds of wickedness all the time. What I got from it was the understanding of, like, not
0: that he can't see it, but eventually it will be eliminated, mm-hmm. right? Like, it will be eliminated before his
1: eyes, uh, almost like a judgment type thing. Yeah, I just pulling it out and because through study like that one came out because there are several how you said all of these come from it there's a lot of quotable quotes in yeah. Habakkuk that are, the, that are there but some people try and build it into something that's not that mm-hmm. you know and that's one of them that just some some clarity. Uh, speaking of
0: quotable quotes the most famous one is Habakkuk two four uh, that says uh, see he is puffed up his desires are not upright but the righteous will live by faith and that is like Paul's message in Romans and Galatians. So in Romans 1.17, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed as righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And then in Galatians 3.11, Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith.
1: I see your Galatians, I see your Romans, and I raise you one Hebrews 10.38, but my righteous one will live by faith and I'll raise you that these
0: verses (laughs) were the rally cry of Martin Luther, John Calvin, and others
1: who launched the Protestant Reformation in 16th century. And I think, again, going to these quotable quotes and even coming from that, the righteous living by faith and looking at faith as to restore that and have it be what it is, because so much of this today is like, oh yeah, well, I have faith. I believed in a thing Mm -hmm. once. I said a prayer because I had faith or whatever, and it's like, going back to paul and you know we're have a cooking with this living by it yeah um persevering in it living in faithfulness like to really restore that i think that within protestantism we've got a whole lot of like oh yeah I've, like i exhibited faith once in my life and like that should be absolutely fine and it's like no that's not what living by faith is mm-hmm. um and just to re- to, for us to restore, like, what does this mean? Yeah, Every, We can quote it. Let's, let's put it on fancy calligraphy on our walls in our homes or, you know, these different things. Like, yeah, the righteous live by faith. They're like, no, no, no. Are you living faithfully? It's like, yeah. Like, well, think about living faithfully with your wife and what that means. Mm-hmm. Are you living faithfully with God? When you look at
0: everything that Habakkuk has been complaining about and like, this isn't fair, this isn't good the righteous will live by faith, it's, it's just this kind of like the righteous would just wait and be okay with what God's doing because they know God's doing it. it it's almost, uh, I want to use the word submission, uh, but yeah. like submitting to God's will, right? Yeah. Um, I read this and I thought it was cool too. according to the Babylonian Talmud, Moses received 613 commands, David reduced them to 11, Micah to 3, Isaiah to two, and Habakkuk reduced them to one. The righteous will live by faith, which, yeah, like, it's, it's a cool way to break it down, right? Mm-hmm. That you had all the laws, and even as Paul was saying in Galatians, like, all the laws, like, if you rely on them, then you've got to do all 613 of them, but this right here, that the righteous will live by faith, and when you're righteous, that means you're desiring what God wants. Mm-hmm. You're, you're obedient. You're living according to his will and way. But yeah, that, I thought that this
1: was cool to even get into like uh, the characteristics of God that he shows us. And I think the submitting, because again, what we have is Babylon coming in and all this mm-hmm. happening, right? And we've talked before about the remnant, that there's always the remnant of the faithful. And if you're looking at Habakkuk saying, eh, the Babylonians are coming in, they're even worse. Like, what about the righteous ones that are here? You know, what are we going to do here? and that the answer is live by faith, because if you live by faith, even in the midst of Assyria, even in the midst of Babylon, even in the midst of Persia, what Rome, whatever it is, God will put a protection over you. Not saying that it will always mean like you, you die in old age, but he'll keep the remnant. He'll keep the faithful. And I think that we brought it... You can tell me when we brought it up, because you, you're, you're the one that talked about it. But when we were talking about... Um, kind of the end times imagery of, like, one will be taken and one will be left. Oh, yeah, yeah. The normal, like, we tend to think today, oh, yeah, to get I taken will be good. I don't know if I good. brought that up on the show. I think that's just us talking. I think you brought it up one time. Well, if not, just the imagery of, like, one getting yeah. taken, and one getting left, and we tend to think, oh, yeah, let's get taken. Like, that'll be good. Go be a Jesus. But it's like the imagery is more of, like, no, when you get taken, you're getting <laughs> taken by Babylon. Like, you know, it's better to be left. And that, that's the kind of thing that, like, to live by faith, to be faithful to God, is that he'll keep you in the remnant. Other people can get snatched up and like be gone, but like you you can, like I'm not going to guarantee that you'll stay because you know things are, but you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, uh, it's it's, can you live
0: righteously even though Babylon is coming? Mm -hmm. Like it's going to be awful and you're going to get taken into there and If you're not taken in there, what you're living in has been completely destroyed, and the poorest of poor has been left there. But can you stay righteous? And that's when you look at Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, who stayed faithful in that, and and Jeremiah, who told him, hey, you're going to Babylon. Mm -hmm. But while you're there, plant a garden, get married, pray for the prosperity of it, because if it prospers, you
1: prosper. Yeah. (laughs) You don't need to make a bad situation worse. Yeah.
0: And then all of that's followed by everyone's most famous verse in the world. I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans I have for you. Plans of good. And everyone's like, yeah, like you were saying, plaster that on the wall. Before that plan or what that plan is, that plan of good
1: is Babylon. Why? Because I'm, I'm allowing Babylon to take you. And I know the plans I have for you. Right. For your good. Yeah. And it is for their good. We, we don't see
0: Babylon or these moments of trials in our lives for good uh, because we don't want to go through the pain. We don't want to go through suffering. But God's doing something in our hearts. He's working. And really, it was that the people, like I said, Israel had become a form of Babylon. And because they had become a form of Babylon, they also needed judgment. And with judgment, it doesn't always necessarily mean the end or a wipeout. It also can mean a moment of repentance, yeah. turning back, and that's really what the God was to set things right. Yes, and that's what God was giving His people. And I, I mean, I'll wait till next week, but I could share personal stories of what Babylon looked like for me in order to get me to come
1: back to God completely and understanding who He is. Um, what is a woe? What is a woe? To put it very succinctly, a woe is a curse, mm-hmm. a bad cursing cursed is the one or damned is the one and not a curse like screw you man a curse like again looking at more of even on the uh working within the spiritual side of things and the stuff and you, you said damned right and even that well it's a curse word like damn this and it's like no 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 like for something to be damned for something to be a woe like that is really um calling in something that's pretty serious again why damn is such a bad word
0: that we've now said four or five times on the show, is because when you damn someone, uh, that, that was saying almost in a sense like death, right? Um, the way I looked at it, I explained it to Remy yesterday. I had fun talking to her about uh, blessings and woes. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that if, uh, if we look at blessing, at a blessed life, uh, blessing is life. To have life is being blessed. That when God breathed into Adam, he was blessed. Uh, not the happiness, prosperity type blessed, that like I'm good with all the stuff I have type blessed. Uh, hashtag blessed life, you know? Uh, but just that I have life itself makes me blessed. That the moment that God's breath leaves me, then I'm cursed. That's, that's the curse, that's death. The, the woe is the opposite of it, meaning that there's, uh, it's death or no breath. So when you do look at someone being damned, like you're basically saying death to you. Like the, the worst of everything
1: that we could experience in life is uh, death. I guess that's like, for as much as we might think, oh, yeah, it's a curse word or like it's a bad word or whatever, the intent behind the things and the charge behind the things I feel like are largely lost today when people are saying things like it's not the like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Like, are you sure you want to say that thing? It's just, you know, flowing out from everywhere and lost the meaning. Um, But yeah, it's a serious thing. And I think we talked about it before that even where Jesus gave the woes to those different cities, like only the one that he didn't woe is still around. The yeah. other ones are gone.
0: Yeah, And even to Babylon, we get five woes. Mm-hmm. Again, d- if you look at it, cursed or damned or death, uh, and you substitute those words uh, like death to uh, you guys because you plunder in your exhortation, like Babylon plundered and vanquished nations, uh, Woe to you who's, uh, who builds an empire by unjust gains, right? So you, you see that in that. This is all from chapter 2, verse 6, or verse six through 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, woe to you who build city by bloodshed and injustice. Like Nebuchadnezzar built Babylon on the spoils of an unjust wars. Uh, woe to the violent and those who degrade others. Babylonians degraded other nations and treated them violently. They would eventually reap what they sowed. And then, woe to those who trust in false gods. Babylon's false gods cannot save the empire from the judgment of uh, the true and living God. So there's like these five woes, and they're heavy because of what Babylon did. And I think that's like, you know, it, it, it's a good way, or at least the way I saw it to wrap up kind of this episode, because we, we started off with who Habakkuk is, our fun thing that we always like to do. And then getting into the time setting was like, there was corruption. Like, it was bad corruption. Even within God's people, the corruption was bad. They were worshiping idols. And Habakkuk's like, this is bad. Why is it so bad? And God's like, Babylon's coming. Wait, what now? But I know the plan I have for but you. But I know the plans I have for you, <laughs> declares the Lord. Good plans. And he's like, how is this good? These people are this. And, and then God saying, God, do something. No, not that. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, God pronouncing judgment on Babylon because of these things. like. And this is God's answer, right? It's God saying, woe to you. Because he's telling Habakkuk, I know them. I know them very well. Jeremiah, right, is like, you're going to be in Babylon 70 years. And then when 70 years hit, like you said, the
1: Persians came in and took him out. And there was no more Babylon. I think that one thing, though, when we're looking at these woes and why Babylon became like the type of evil empire and everything that it represents, It's because when you look at these woes, it's just like, yeah, it does represent everything that people hate about evil empires and, you know, powers in the world is that woe to him who amasses what's not his and makes himself rich. How long will this go on? Uh, Woe to him who built his house by unjust gain sets his place up high. Um, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed. All the things that you read off. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin until they're drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness, be filled with shame, right? And just like setting people up. Mm -hmm. All this stuff is just, yeah, if you look at any wicked nation throughout time, they were doing these. Mm -hmm. And God felt the same way. Then we get to the end where Habakkuk says, all right,
0: I understand you are good and you are just. Next week should be fun getting into more of that and really pulling out uh, more of that verse four kind of meaning of the righteous will live by faith and stuff like that. Um, real quick before we wrap up, uh, I just want to say thanks to everyone who's listening uh, because you don't have to. Thank you. <laughs> but thank you. Uh, we've seen a lot of people listening lately from Massachusetts, uh, Pennsylvania, New York has been in there and Texas has uh, people have been really listening to. And then across the world, uh, I thought this was cool, seeing some listens from Yemen. Yeah, Yemen. Yemen, uh, the Philippines, and then Mexico also is in there. And uh, we have someone who's constantly listening in Canada. Uh, if you guys want, please reach out to us, yourchurchfriends at gmail.com.
1: And if you need prayer, reach out you, for you, us. Yeah, There's something hey, that we're learning from hey, our buddy, lock, buddy Walk with Jesus friends yeah. is that They're very big on prayer. And it's like, that's a good idea. So honestly, if any of you guys need prayer, reach out. We've got the Facebook group. You can always email us or any of that stuff. Uh, We are Christians. We are your church friends. We will pray with you and for you. Yes. But yes, I want to say thank you to all that. And anyone could do that. So
0: let's wrap up. I am Chris. I'm your. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Abba, Nahum, Obadiah, Jude, Philemon,
1: Haggai. Amen.